that we might have your heart. That we might see as you see and even believe as you believe. That our hands would be as your hands and our feet busy about what your feet would be busy about. This world is so consuming. Some of it we just bring it on ourselves. back to you today. You and what you want to do in us and through us in this city, in this region. Lord, in the little town of Pineville and Pea Ridge and Hiawassee and Gentry and, or the bigger towns of Bentonville, Springdale, Fayetteville and, or points way beyond this city that we might have truly the mind of Christ. That what breaks your heart would break our heart. That what what you pray for, we would pray for. And Lord, just make us like you. We thank you for this time. Thank you for already speaking to our hearts. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What is it in your life that you're passionate about, that stirs you, that, that might even awaken you at night, that that there is literally a physiological response inside of you, that you are stirred to your core, that if it's an injustice, you will rise up and carry the banner against the injustice, that if it is, if it is a cause that's not being addressed, you will address it. If you will sacrifice life or limb, you'll sacrifice your career, need be, uh, for this. What is this? I certainly hope you're passionate about something. And I hope when you identify what you're passionate about, you can truly find some substance in that. Now some are very passionate about their career. And they'll sacrifice life, limb, family, reputation, character to get to the next rung on the ladder. Some people it's their education. Uh, some people, and these are all good things. I'm not, I'm not saying bad things. I'm saying good things that are out there. What are you passionate about? What will keep you awake at night? What will cause you Here's a quote, if I can spit it out. From Ken Hemphill, it says it like this, Vision does not ignite growth. Passion does. Passion fuels vision. And vision is the focus of the power of passion. Very powerful words there, worthy of writing down or keeping in your notes. Passion fuels vision. 
And vision is the focus of the power of passion. Leaders who are passionate about their call create vision. You know, vision is not enough. Having a dream, having an idea, having a thought, having a possibility that something good and right, Andy Stanley says in his book, Visioneering is Vision is something that could and should happen. But just having a vision of something that could and should happen is not enough. Hemfield is saying that you need to have passion that will fuel that vision, will give power to that vision, will keep you awake at night if need be, will, will cause you to go the extra mile because the, 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 the vision needs it, the, the, the cause needs it. What is it for you? I, I am passionate about God's mission. I haven't always been passionate about God's mission. It was since 1993 that God began to rearrange my life, uh, already well into the ministry, pastoring my second church, having been on staff and done, done some internships at great churches. I really thought I was on track. I thought as a pastor my job was to keep everybody warm, happy, and fed. I really thought that's the job of the pastor. If everybody's warm, got a warm fuzzy every now and then, and they're happy, there's no quarrels amongst us, there's no quarrels in the families, and everybody's fed. If I'll just feed them, then my job as a pastor is really done. And, and to a large degree, for many, many years in many, many seminaries, that's what they train you to do. They train you to make sure everybody's warm, happy, and fed, and then you, you've done your job and you do that for two or three years, then you go to another church and you do it for two or three more years there, and you just kind of move around. It was in 1993, and I can't have time to go into the whole story, but God began to say, that's not what my passion or my mission is, really. Just to keep everybody warm, happy, and fed is much deeper, much broader than that, much more life-changing than that. And so God began to work in me and began to say, I have a mission that is far outside of the four walls of a church, I have a mission that's far outside the, the county line, far outside the state borders, far outside the borders that border a country. It goes into places that are dark and unreached and difficult and hard and rocky and hot and, and very, very hostile sometimes. I have a mission that is global in scope. It began to shape my vision way beyond that local church. It began to work on my heart that it's not just me doing the work of the ministry, but is actually equipping the believers, which is ironically it's biblical, to do the work of the ministry and to carry out this mission. So you're not the, the Lone Ranger missionary out there carrying the cause and everybody's hailing you and praising you. It's a it's a it's a community, it's a it's a family thing, it's a it's a everybody's mission. It's not just the, the men of the cloth. It's not the clergy's job. But it's actually the entire bodies and he began to shape that, that whole perspective and values and, and vision for what a church could and should be and then began to burn inside of me this passion to raise up a church that would truly, 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 truly in every sense of the word from the giving to the going to the, to the priorities of the programs to everything that we would be about, we would be on mission with God globally. And I use the word globally. It's not a familiar word because it's, com it's, a, it's a hybrid of global and global. Glo excuse me, glo global and local. That we are a global church. That we are going to be on mission locally. 
Yes, and we're going to be on mission globally. It's not going to be something that we're going to tip our hat to, throw some dollars in the offering plate from time to time. It is literally going to be our passion. There's another man that I want to tell you about today who is very passionate. Find your Bibles and look at Romans chapter 10 because this man was highly, extremely passionate about what, what he was about passion beyond limits, the mission behind our passion, whatever you want to call this, this message. But if you read this passage of Scripture and you see in, in Paul's writing here, he's kind of just telling us his heart. He's saying, brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God. Do you see before we even go further what he's talking about here, the intensity of this? He says, it's my heart's desire. It's my prayer. It's what keeps me awake at night. It's what gets me up early in the morning. It's, it, it's, it's it. This is it. It's my heart's desire. It's my prayer to God for them. Who's them? He's writing about the people of Israel. He's writing about a people group. One of the 13,000 people groups that populate the earth today are the Hebrew people. Okay? Are the Jewish people. At this time, Paul had a heart's desire, a prayer to God for them, Israel, for the Hebrew people, is for their salvation. I mean, this is something that he was passionate about. Something that kept him awake. It was something that moved him. Is there anybody in this room passionate for the Urdu of Pakistan or the Makua of Mozambique or the Fulani of West Africa? Or the Gujarati of India? Anybody passionate even no, listen, anybody even passionate for the yuppies of northwest Arkansas? Uh, can we even go to that people group, the young urban professionals, and say we're passionate, our hearts desire, our prayer to God for northwest Arkansas? That they might be saved. This is not one of those messages that I want you to perceive as though He's going to be pouring it on hot and heavy. And I really just hope that you will see my passion today and, and hopefully it will ignite a passion in you. Because I'll say this, you need to be passionate about somebody. Somebody beyond yourself. Because I'm afraid a lot of people choose a church on whether or not they're going to be warm, happy, and fed. And I hope that you'll see that a church is not about being warm, happy, and fed. A church is about being on mission. We're doing this, the Grace Point Difference message series right now, and it's very good and healthy for me. It's very good and healthy for all of us, whether you're in the beginning in the membership of our church or whether you're just now, just the first time here today, just exploring it. Wherever you are on, that, on, on the spectrum, we need to come back and we need to say, am I passionate about anything beyond myself? Am I passionate about the Tonga of Zambia? About the Lozi of Western Province of Zambia? Am I passionate about anybody beyond myself? I hope that you will see, as Paul writes in this passage today, that he was very passionate and he, under, he understands some very basic concepts here. As he goes on into this passage of Scripture, I just want to bring out three truths. Somebody said it like this. It was a African-American pastor one day who said it like this, I just want to hang some thoughts on the clothesline of your heart and just let the Holy Spirit blow across it. And so today I just want to hang a few thoughts on the clothesline of your heart and if the Spirit would just so move and blow across them today, then let it be. But let these 
three thoughts, these three realities, whatever you want to say about them, these three reasons that we need to be about God's global, global ministry is that let it just be these three thoughts that will just kind of hang on your heart and just send you out into your world tomorrow, today, maybe with a passion. Maybe your prayer is not even the verses that we're going to read now. It's actually verse 1 that we just read. God, give me a heart's desire and a prayer for somebody that they might know you, that they might have a relationship with you. Here's the first thought I want to hang on your clothesline of your heart is the, rea- the, the reliability of the message that we have. Now, reliability is a key word in all of life. It's a key word right now as you look at banks, are they reliable? As you look at our economy, is it reliable? As you look at our dollar, is it reliable? And we're living in a state of flux right now in all of those examples that I give you. Is your relationship, is it reliable? Is your partner reliable? Is your job reliable that you know that you're going to have a job six months from now at that same place? Reliability and something that's a stability in our life is really something we all want. It's a natural desire. It gives us a sense of security. But what I want to say to us today is that I don't believe in any shape, form, or fashion that we have a message of any ambiguity about it. That we have a very rock-solid, reliable message. My question to us then, why aren't we sharing it? I mean, there's no ambiguity. You're going to have to bet on something. There's some horse out there you're going to bet on. Either unbelief or belief. If you choose belief, then what are you going to believe? Islam? Hindu? Well, you're going to have to choose something. I'm just not going to choose. I'm just going to explore. Well, explore as you will, but you're still betting on your exploration. You're betting on some horse out there to get you through this life and to figure out what's going to happen after this life. I'm putting my life on a man named Jesus. There's just something about him that really sticks out and rings out and kind of goes through the the courses of life that permeates all of the cultures of this world and that goes through time and and relaxed. It just seems more reliable, especially when I hear his message and put all the, 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 the dots together and try to connect it all up together. I really think there's some reliability here. So if you're an explorer, thank you for coming. We call it seeker, you call it explorer, whatever you want to call it. Keep exploring. I'm betting on Jesus. Some, a lot of people in this room are betting on Jesus. I'm thinking Jesus is the way. I, I think He's the... Where are you at? I believe we have a reliable message. And we need to be about sharing that reliable message. In this day and age of modernism to postmodernism, modernism was very logical, very linear. Postmodernism is very mystical, very loopy where in modernism we could take and argue the facts and get into apologetics in a very linear, logical fashion. Today it's much, much more mystical. Psychi- psychiatrist from Harvard Medical School, Edward Hollowell, said it like this. He said, My evidence for taking the fork toward faith is emotional evidence. It wasn't logical evidence. He says, I feel God must be there, otherwise life makes no sense. You know, there's all kinds of different views on how you get to God out there. The reality is we're all on a journey. Which fork are you going to choose? You're betting on something. And I want to tell you today, I really, 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 really believe with all my life, all my heart and all my life, that we have a very reliable message. But see, in this passage of Scripture, there was still a lot of wondering going on. 
just as there is today. Look down in chapter 10, verse 3. We're going to skip through this entire chapter today, or most of it anyway. But look at verse 3. It says, For not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own. See, Paul's dealing with a, with a group of people much like you might experience right here in northwest Arkansas or anywhere else in the world today, is that there's a lot of people who don't know God's righteousness. They're trying to figure it all out. And so as it says there in verse 3, they're seeking to establish their own. They're seeking to establish their own way to God, their own way to faith, their own way to, to righteousness, their own standards of righteousness. That's why we have so much relativism in this world. It's because we're living in a day when everybody's trying to establish their own way. You know what? That's not new. And you know what? We're not going to stop it. It's going to be a natural tendency of everybody's heart to establish some kind of way, some kind of hierarchy, some kind of pathway to get to God, just as is happening right here. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They were doing it their own way. They were figuring out their own path. And you can go all the way through verses 4 and all the way down through verse 13 and you can just see how Paul begins to unpack this whole relationship with God. But I, don't, I want to skip. I want to fast forward. We're going to give you the crypt notes of chapter 10 today. We're going to go straight to the punchline. Because from verse 3, he's talking about them trying to establish their own way and then he goes all the way through it and then he comes down and he gives them the rock-solid, reliable message of it all. Verse 13. Look there with me. What it says in verse 13, it says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Pretty clear. Pretty reliable. He didn't segregate it. He didn't put it in a racial box. He didn't put it in a socioeconomic box. He didn't put it in a cultural box. He just said anybody, anywhere, at any time, at any place, wherever they are on the journey of life, he didn't even put an age requirement on there. He just said whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's no ambiguity in it. Again, there was no qualifier in there except for the fact that there must be an acknowledgement in your life that God is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord. The word Lord there is kurios, which means He is the one you bow your life to. Now, who are you bowing your life to? Is it Walmart? Is it Tyson? Is it your income? Is it your title? Again, you're going to have to figure out that own, your own journey. You can determine your own path of righteousness. But what I want to say today, and this is the message. I'm just saying, well, hold it. He's talking to me as if I'm not a believer. And you know what? I have to assume that any time I stand up here, that there are people in this room that have tried to develop their own path to God, and I need to bring them back to the very basics. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've got to bring it back there. But then I want to say, listen, I want to equip you with something that's really pretty cool. You don't have to be a theologian to share this with somebody. You don't have to have all of your theology prepackaged, all plugged into your head. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You just need to be able to go into this world and to say, you realize if you will bow your life to Jesus, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's so simple, it's so sure. The thing is, in that simplicity, some people can't accept it. In that surety, some people can't accept it. He said, oh, there's got to be more to that. Oh, I can't be sure in that. But he makes it very sure. He makes it very simple. He puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. 
The problem is, as I said back in verse 3, they did not subject themselves. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. The problem is, if we try to make our own way, and we don't bow ourselves and call on the name of the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we'll never know Him. We'll know Him here, but we won't know Him here. And the reliability of our message is that we can go into this world and we can tell them, if you will just call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. I can remember my last pastorate sharing with the chief of police who was not a believer and uh, was living kind of a very rough life. His name was Terry. And I remember sharing with Terry. And I was kind of nervous. I mean, when you're with a policeman, you don't want to do things wrong. And um, chief of police especially. And so I'm sitting down talking with him. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous and I'm, and I'm trying to get my words out. And I've got my prepackaged thought of how I'm going to share and I'm sharing it and, and I'm missing it. I'm giving wrong references to wrong verses and I'm halfway quoting verses and I'm mixing verses in with other verses. I mean, it was a jumbled up mess. We got to the end. Terry, with tears in his eyes, this big, tough policeman, said, I want that. And I thought, after all of that and me sweating and messing up and all that kind of stuff, how could you? He says, I want that. And Terry, his heart was changed that day. And to this day, as far as I know, he's still walking with the Lord. The point is, is that God hits straight licks with crooked sticks because I was pretty crooked that day. But what was not crooked was the heart of the message. If you call on Him and you bow your life to Him, you will be saved. That's glorious. That's awesome. To have that kind of a surety when I go into life, when I go into this world, when I engage those who are with, far from God, when I engage them in a relationship and I earn the right to be able to share my faith with them. And you really have to do that. Don't go up and beat them over the head with your Bible. That will scare them away. Just earn that right to share the, the, the faith with them. And then when you do it and that door is there, just go in gently, humbly, lovingly and just tell them whoever Calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then let God do what God can do. And we tend to get scared all about. See, we're not, we're, we don't fail when, we've, when we witness. We fail when we fail to witness. So just get out there. Develop the relationships. Share a very reliable message. But I want to take you to another reason we need to be about sharing this message is the responsibility that we must understand we have. There's a serious responsibility that we have to share a message that has been given to us. It's a message that Jesus said no less than five times at the end of His, uh, at the end of his life. He said it five times in five different settings, in five different ways from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. You can find five different times that Jesus told them one message. This one message you need to take to the world. This one message, you, 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 it's your job. And I've sat in, I've sat in discussion groups and classes and, and I, I've talked with people and, and they just don't understand how is it that it's our responsibility to go to these, these tribes and uh, these different people and these hostile places and these different... Why is it my job? Because we have a responsibility. We have been given something from God, a message that it is our job to carry to the ends of the earth. Here's a couple of those verses. Mark says it in 16, uh, verse 15. It says, Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Also in Matthew 28, 19, very familiar to many believers. 
Churches talk about it all the time. Seldom is it lived out. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That all nations phrase is in the Greek, uh, panta ta ethne. Ethne means ethnic groups. Ethnic people groups. There are 13,000 ethno-linguistic groups in this world. You know, it's our job as believers and followers of Christ. Here's where we have to step up and own up to the responsibility. You do it to your children. You tell them to clean your room. You come home, it's not clean. You hold them responsible. You tell them to mow the yard. You come home, it's not mowed. Then you hold them responsible. Listen, we're grown people here in this room. Let's be adults about it and realize we have a responsibility to go to the ends of the earth to go to the 13,000 ethno-linguistic groups that are out there. Different ethnic groups, different language groups out there. Every one of them needs to hear in their own language about Christ. You say, this is way too big for me. Jerry Rankin said it like this, President of the International Mission Board, the Great Commission is sufficient to give us the authority to finish the task. It is insufficient to motivate us. See, Jesus has already given us the vision to go to the ends of the earth. Now, hang with me, listen to this. Go back to the beginning of the message. The vision's not enough. You've got to have the passion to fuel the vision. So he's given us the vision. Go to the ends of the earth. Share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Go there, go there. The problem is we don't have the passion to match the vision. We don't have the passion to get off our dumps many times and to do something that's going to cost us time and money and, and personal comforts to go to places that are uncomfortable and People who are just absolutely ready and waiting for someone to lovingly, humbly come in, be in their culture, live in their culture, live out their faith with them. There are three contingencies for us to reach the world. We need to understand this. The very first contingency is mankind is waiting for a message. We've got to understand that mankind is out there. God created them. He put them in the mother's womb. He birthed them into this world. And they're just sitting there waiting for the message. Literally. Because, I mean, here it is. If you look at verse 13, that is a complete, totally complete message in itself. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wouldn't you say that's enough? But then he leads. It's like the Spirit of God nudges Paul to write just a few more words. And he says this in verse, verse 14. Now, how can they call on him in whom they've not believed? How can, how can anybody call on him if they've not believed in him? That makes sense, doesn't it? You can't call on something if you don't believe in something. So believing is absolutely a criteria, a prerequisite for, for anybody coming to know Christ. I tell you of two Southern Baptist missionaries who were driving through the bush of Africa on a little bumpy road. and uh, It was Jimmy Hooten who tell, told this story, a long-time missionary in Uganda and, and, and Kenya, and uh, actually very, very godly man, instrumental in our call to missions. But anyway... He, uh, he, he tells the story of these two Baptist missionaries bouncing along this bush road and, and coming across a man and this man saying, hey, I, 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 I want to hear more about why you're here. I mean, white people bouncing through the bush of Africa is not very common. So why are you here? And so they began to build this relationship and talk and they sat down and they talked and ended up sharing about Jesus with them and boom, 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 boom. God does the rest of the work and this person becomes a believer. So oh, you must give me more. I must hear more. Can you read? Yes, I can read Swahili. So they gave him a Swahili Bible. So the guy gets, they, two missionaries get back in their little Land Rover and they go bouncing across the bush wherever they were going and making their way. 
And as so many often is the case, missionaries are spread so thin, so far and wide, that it was five years before they made it back to that village. And here it is. They come bouncing along in their little Land Rover right up to this little village. And, and this older man now comes out and flags the down and says, Where have you been? And he said, Well, we've been here and there and all over the place and all that kind of stuff. He says, You don't understand. I took what you told me and I started telling everybody else so that they would believe. And many of them became believers. And what I did is I didn't have anything to give them except the Bible that I had. And, and so I just started tearing out pages. And all I have are, are these two leather flaps now. Do you have another Bible you can give me? Well, okay, yes, you can have another Bible. I wonder who got the book of Habakkuk. Now, can you imagine? <laughs> but even when you read the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Watch among the nations and observe. For I'll do a great work in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. See, even in the book of Habakkuk, God is speaking, God is calling, God is working, God is moving, God is doing some awesome things. And here it is, this man who knows so little. The problem is, is that there are 3.94 billion people who are still waiting for the message. That's according to the International Mission Board. 3.94 billion. I can't put my arms around a million, let alone a billion. Stores talk about doing millions and millions on days, and, and well, I don't understand that, especially when you start lumping it into people. There, God, I mean, if you think about, just let's, let's just try to think about that. Six, there are six billion people on this planet. We take just a moment and think about that. We can't even begin to put our arms around all the six billion people that, 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 that make up this world. And only 5% of the six billion people in the world live in North America. But yet 95% of those who are trained in the gospel, seminary trained, stay right here in the States. So how is it that 95% of seminary trained people are reaching 5% of the world? Isn't that out of proportion a little bit? Wouldn't you agree with that? That we're kind of out of kelter? The problem is, is that if you take Mexico City, there are more people in Mexico City than there are in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri combined. The Western Hemisphere, North America and South America, contains 800 million people. In India, there are 900 million people and over 90% of them are without Christ. In China alone, there's 1.3 billion people. Can you begin to see their faces? That's just one region of the world. But it's the whole world and it's massive. And so today, may our souls be awakened to the reality of just the people who don't know Jesus. And this became real to me even again this past week when I received two different correspondents. One by email, one by letter. Snail mail, I guess you call it. One, I'll tell you about the one by email. It actually came about a week ago and it was about... What happening is happening in Mali, not even among the yeah excuse me it was among the bomber people, but it was not in the village that we do most of our work in, where some 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 volunteers from South Carolina were there doing some food and hunger distribution, and they had distributed all all this food because of the hunger in the villages and how 
these group of volunteers decided, you know what, there's another village just over there. And unannounced, unplanned, un- anything scripted at all, they decided they were going to go to that next village and just began to build relationships so hopefully they would have an open door to share their faith. They were on the path, on the dusty road to get to this village, and two ladies came their way and said, I had a dream about you last night. We've been listening to Christian radio that's been pumped into the country in their own language. Again, another mission strategy that's working and it's plowing up the ground. And these ladies said, we had a dream last night that you were coming. And they sat down and they shared the gospel with them and they became believers. Can you imagine being on mission with God? I can say it again. Mankind is simply waiting for a message. It's not that difficult. They're waiting for the message. Here's the second thing, though. The second contingency is the message is waiting for a messenger. The message is waiting for a messenger. Verse 14, how can they call on Him if they had not believed in Him? And how can they believe in Him in whom they've not heard? It's a real simple process. You can't call on Him if you haven't believed in Him. And you can't believe in Him if you haven't heard. The massiveness of of our task is overwhelming. When people are out there waiting, now the responsibility rests on us. And the thing about, the, about this good news, the evangel, the evangel is silent until the evangelist arrives. The evangelist is silent until the evangelist. Go on with me. He says, and, and how will they hear without a preacher? It's a very simple process. Unless there's a preacher, they'll never hear. If, if they don't ever hear, then they'll never believe. If they don't believe, they'll, they'll never call on God. If they never call on God, then guess what? Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that obviously excludes those who don't call on the name of the Lord. It's a real simple process. There's got to be a preacher. Say, well, you're the preacher. You go. Actually, the thing about this word preacher, it actually means a deliverer. The, the word preacher did not become a church word for many, many years, it literally means a courier of a message. The person who has a very important message has to carry it like from a king. A king would give the message to a courier or to a curious, this is what this word is, to a preacher, and the preacher would then take that word and deliver it to a community. When that word got there, it was as if the king himself has spoken it. You know what we are? We are couriers of a message. A message that needs to go to the ends of the earth. It is our task. It's our job. It's what God has called us to. Luke chapter 10 verse 16 says it like this. He who hears, you hears me. That's an encouraging word from Jesus. He who hears you hears me. It was John the Baptist who said, I am the voice. It was Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 15:11, We So we preach... And so you believe. It's absolutely vital. The evangel is silent until the evangelist comes. Look with me also in this same passage of Scripture, verse 17, where it says this, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Hearing, 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 hearing. How can, how can they believe and, unless they've heard? And how can they hear unless there's somebody, a preacher, a deliverer of this message that goes and tells them? We wonder why the world and why people around us don't know Christ. Well, maybe we are the missing link in that process. We've not carried the message to them. Mankind is waiting for a message. The message is waiting for a messenger. But here's the third contingency. The messenger is waiting for a means. I love verse 15. He says, And how will they preach unless they are sent? 
The beauty of this is that the church of Antioch was the first example to us in the New Testament of a sending church, a church that actually sent out people. And that's what they did, and that's what we should do as well, sending out people into this world. It cost $88 a day to keep a missionary on the field one day. William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement, said this. He said, I'm going down into the pit. You hold the rope. And you know what we've got to realize as a church? And I'm thankful this church has doubled just in this year alone, has doubled its missions giving in one year. But you know what? We've got to realize we've got a job to do to carry the message to the world, but we also got to realize that we can help send those who, do, who don't go. We can, as, if we're not going, then we need to help those who are going. We can hold the rope as they go down. Here's the last, I guess, reason that we need to be sharing this message is the reward for telling this message. Verse 15, he says it like this. He said, How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of great things. How beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You know, when I think about that, I think feet are not very pretty. If you've seen my feet, they're not pretty feet. But the point is being is not so much how pretty are your feet and how pedicured they are up, but it's more or less the timing of you taking a message. Think about those volunteers from South Carolina carrying a message into a village that hasn't heard and how beautiful those feet were that brought that message. It's a, it's a picture of timing. See, see, the message is very timely. Billy Graham said before an Atlanta crusade, good news is only good news when it gets there on time. If the message doesn't get there before they make up their mind not to follow Christ or they die without Christ, then it's not good news. You can have all the good news, but good news just kept to itself is not good news unless I hear about the good news. I close with this story. Because it was in the newspapers, in the Chicago Tribune on February 9, 1979, when John Courier, who tells the story of John Courier back in 19... Uh, in 1949, he was put in prison and sentenced to life in prison guilty of murdering someone. He was put in the prison and locked up, and it was the way it was going to be forever and ever until finally the prisons were full. They transferred him to a prison in Tennessee where he was put into a work program and given very shoddy living conditions. He, he took baths out of horse troughs. He drank his water, got his water from a hose pipe next to the, next to the barn. That was basically how he lived, for the, was supposed to live for the rest of his life. The problem is, or the great news is, is in the 1968, his sentence was terminated. His sentence was terminated just after 19 years. They sent a letter to the, to the farmer in Tennessee to give it to John Courier that you're now free to go and your sentence has been terminated. And so as he got, the farmer got this letter, he simply failed to pass the letter on. I mean, this is in the, in the Tribune, okay? So it's got to be true, right? And so, it's, so he gets this letter and the farmer doesn't pass it on for 11 years. The farmer ends up dying and never tells him. John Currier is a freed man living a prisoner's life for 11 years. He was paid the very first week that he went into this, into this prison camp $5 a week 
he graduated to $20 a week. For 11 years, this man is living a prisoner's life because nobody delivered the message to him. It was in 1979 that a parole officer caught wind of this and redid some research and found out that this was a free man living a slave's life, living a poor man's prisoner's life, and he needs to be set free. The moral of that story is very clear, I hope, to you and to me. This world is living in prison of their own sin, shame, and guilt. And we hold within our hearts a message to be delivered to them. We have been given the power, the authority. We have been given everything needed and necessary to carry this message to the ends of the earth. Why aren't we doing it? Would you pray with me? I hope that you sense at Grace Point, part of the difference of Grace Point, is that missions is front burner for us. It's not just something we do to decorate our coffee shop and sell dollar coffee so you can support some kind of volunteer vacation trip. But I hope that you sense that it's not just about a vacation trip or a mission adventure trip or you know throwing some dollars at some missionaries so they can stay on the field a few more days. But I hope that you sense that at the very core of who we are, it's not about being warm, fed, and happy. It's about being on mission. And that we want you to be on mission. We are, we are trying to raise the same banner that Jesus raised. Be on mission with Him. Father God, we bow our lives before You right now. And we ask that You would you would make us passionate. Passionate not about something, but about someone. Passionate about unreached, unevangelized peoples. Passionate, Lord, about what You want to do on the face of this earth. Through us. Lord, we pray right now that You would just, even as we commission this team to Haiti. May this be a response of our hearts as well to be on mission with You. In Jesus' name we pray.